Chapter 5. Farstein. On the hyperspace journey from the Vergesso Drift to Farstein, the heroes formulate a plan to try to gain 10 to 15,000 credits while on Farstein, knowing 30% will go towards 10 losses of finder's fee. They hope the remaining amount will be enough to convince the Both and Spynet to help the rebels with opening Vector's data card. How they will find this amount, however, remains completely unknown to them. They will need to figure this out once they land and have a chance to explore. While in hyperspace, Muki does research learning what she can about the planet. She shares with the crew what she knows, stating that Farstein is in the midrim and part of the Five Veils tour that ends at Skynara. She describes the methane-based atmosphere as unbreathable outside the cities. The inhabited areas themselves have enormous domes to create breathable airspace, facilitating tourism, she says. You see, Farstein is the launching point for Imperials vacationing the Five Veils tour. The Dewey cockpit alarm goes off as they drop out of hyperspace. Before them, a diminutive blue planet beckons. P-10 ship drops right next to them. She gets on the comms and states she's going to lead them into the spaceport. They drop through the cerulean clouds of Farstein's troposphere. Through the cockpit windows, a gigantic mountain range emerges through the methane clouds. They drop closer into a canyon and accelerate towards the city. Frozen grayish liquid is nestled in mountain valleys like snow. As they draw nearer to the city, they see it is enclosed in a thin gray bubble. As they pass through, they are greeted by increasingly dense starship traffic. Most of the ships are slowly moving in lames, but some smaller vehicles are weaving through the larger ones at high speed. A voice crackles on the comms. Wayfarer class cruiser, you have been cleared for landing at docking base C. They follow P-10's ship into the city of West End Spaceport and towards the docking bay. As they draw closer, sundry beings are seen walking about. Buzzing around and past their ship, numerous other spaceships are coming and going. It's quite busy with a hectic feel to the place. As they gently lower to land, Buck notes a large ship parked nearby and another small vessel not far from P-10's star yacht. Disembarking from Dewey and exploring their docking bay sea, Ted interacts with some drunken space yacht patrons, while Vod approaches the ugular figures at the smaller ship and recognizes them as Gungans from Naboo. They state they are looking for a pilot and are hoping to find one in Cosmos Cantina. Vod tries to probe a little more, but they appear repulsed by his wrinkled brown visage and menacing vibroaxe strapped to his back. Abruptly ending the conversations, the Gunglins quickly depart, glancing back at Vod, one holding his nose. The team regroups on the ramp of the Dewey to get their bearings and plot their course. Deciding to score some glitter calf and go to the central flight control tower of West End to speak with Tweak McCrack and find out more about the lay of the land. The rebels hop on their personal scooters, alone from P-10 for West End spaceport travel, and make their way towards the Central City Flight Control Tower. Using Glittercalf as a bribe, the PCs manage to gain an audience with Tweak McCrack and discern the lay of West End spaceport. Docking Bay A tends to house Hut and Black Sun ships. Docking Bay B is where Imperial ships have their home. Tweak hints that one of the Imperial ship officers may be having an affair with a local falling female named Giola. Finally, Docking Bay C houses tourists, and this time of year, multiple luxury space yachts. Otherwise, the PCs discern that West End Spaceport Starship races are coming soon. There's an opening for a contestant, 
and there's a healthy $5,000 credit payday. Ted's ears perk up at the news. Any other information, Tweak says, is likely to be found in the local watering hole, Cosmo's Cantina. The PCs decide to head there next. Entering into Cosmo's Cantina, the heroes split up and begin seeking information on how they might score a payday or two, knowing they'll need these funds to convince the Bothan Spinet for help. Mookie overhears a couple West End port authorities arguing about the pluses and minuses of the Empire's takeover of space lanes. Vod encounters a humanoid selling drugs and spices. Roquan overhears the conversation of a table full of drunken Imperial troops, all but confirming rumors of Captain Romero's tryst with a local Faline. Turns out, Captain Romero is married to Horsensia Taggy, daughter of powerful Imperial General Cassio Taggy. After a troubling encounter with a depressed consortium worker, where Ted learns of some of the atrocities of the Galactic Consortium, highlighted mainly by the ecological catastrophes reaped by this Imperial-leaning multi-planetary conglomerate, Ted earns some info on how he might infiltrate the Imperial docking facilities on Farstein. On Ted's way back to the crew, a big man in a leather jacket and cowboy hat approaches him. You guys from around here? He asks. Ted shakes his head. You got a good look, friend. You look like a buddy of mine from a long time ago. What you drinking? The red stuff, says Ted. The stranger orders Ted a drink and hands it to him. You here for the races? Yeah, I was hoping to fly, says Ted. The large man throws back a shot. My name's Bronco, Bronco Chaps. Who are you running with, Bronco? asks Ted. You ever hear of the Sons of Fortune? Some might call them bounty hunters, but it seems you're wearing their outfit, says the stranger. I heard that before in a hole on Narshada called the Orange Lady, answers Ted. Ah, you must have met Zeke, says the stranger. He's my older brother, and you dress just like Ted, another brother. I haven't seen him in years. Ted reflects on the conversation he'd had with Zeke and on what curious fates have brought him into contact with all three men of the Sons of Fortune. He takes a pull on his drink and decides to come clean with Bronco. He shares his story of how he had found Ted's murdered body and assumed his identity to get off planet. My real name is Luz Sindesi, says Ted. Well, well, well. We were the Sons of Fortune, me... Zeke and Ted. We did old-time hunting jobs, bounties. Bronco shares some stories of their adventures. Who are you looking for now? asks Ted. I'm looking for a serial killer who torched a bunch of grand missionaries on Grand Varkana. I tracked him here. Big dude, plenty mean, pure evil. Usually travels with three Rodians. They're mostly bark. He's going to be tough to bring down, though. Looking for extra muscle? asks Ted. I could use some help, says Bronco. Could be worth a couple thousand credits if you're interested. Bronco eyes him side-eye and asks when Ted might be able to help. Ted informs him that he'd have to wait until after the race. He adds that he'd like to make things right and earn money for the late Ted's family back in Corellia. Bronco ultimately decides to front Ted a thousand credits as a forward on the job under the condition that he will help him catch his bounty after the race. I'll pay you the rest when you've taken care of the bounty, but you're going to need to give me your cavalry blaster as collateral, says Bronco. Ted agrees, 
and trades his blaster for the cash front. Buck, meanwhile, scans a cantina and decides to approach the Gungan loitering in the hall. It's the same Gungan Vod tried to talk to in the docking bay. Buck finds out that they're looking for a pilot. They are running back to medical supplies to the Gungans back on Naboo. There's a blockade on an Imperial cruiser and the TIE fighters patrolling. Wiza need a freighter and someone who can smuggle the supplies, the Gunga proposes. No one of anybody who can pull in that off? Buck acknowledged that it sounds like a mission his team could handle. The Gungan pitches a plan in which his Gungan crew would disable the Corvette, but they would need a freighter to get past blockade and ties and down to Jangua City on Naboo. Making the dropping and pulling out. Wisa can pay Yusa. Wisa have a couple thousand mula. Naming Tum Tum Wawa. Maybe back in the Dakimbe Sea. The supplies on our ski beetle. Tum Tum gives Buck his contact number. Meanwhile, Vod sneaks his way into the shadows and works into a back room. He finds a server pass through a door and cracks it open enough to overhear a conversation inside. A Black Sun-affiliated Deveronian is confronting a Hut-affiliated Nikto. I'm beginning to wonder whether you Huts even have the scratch for cargo. Look here, Drod. If your crew tries to pull anything tricky... The Nikto responds, Chalice, believe me, the Huts want to deal with you as little as possible. But you, Black Sun, have a way with those heavies, and the pretty ones too. Durgo wants to reload his assets. He wants those slaves. Yes, yes, I know. Black Sun is a superior organization to your sluggos, says the Black Sun Deveronian. But if you try anything funny, we will wipe you out and leave you choking on the Farstein atmosphere. We won't soon forget the hustle you attempted on Ord Mantell. Chalice, we're not going to pull any pranks, says the Nikto. And to be clear... It was your twitchy Zygarians who shot first on the Ord Mantell deal. But listen here, I'd like to see you and those pussies over there try to outmuscle my crew. We'd flay you and we'd piss on your graves. The Deveronian growls. Let's finish our drinks here, Drod, and get down to business as soon as we can. My men are much more interested in the races than babysitting your crew back at the landing field. Here, here, says Drod. Business first, but then we booze. The Deveronian looks at him. 10,000 credits. Tomorrow, after the main circuit race is done. The Deveronian spits in his hand. 10,000 credits. No problem, says the Nikto. They shake. Vod sneaks back out of the room and gathers with the rest of the crew in a darkened booth at the back of Cosmos Cantina. They all review their gathered information and discuss plans. Buck shares that he met some Gungans who need a pilot to smuggle medical supplies past a blockade over Naboo for 2,000 credits. A Corvette and a TIE fighter will make it a bit more challenging, says Buck. Ted shares that he traded his gun for 1,000 credits down payment on a bounty from Bronco Chaps. He points over to the bounty hunter who tips his hat back at Ted. He didn't exactly say who the target is, says Ted. Some kind of serial killer who used a crew of Rodians to torch an Ithorian tree ship. I also managed to get a docking bay code for the consortium from this suicidal Stelustin. I tried to help him, really, says Ted. Mookie shares that the Imperial captain, Romero, is indeed cheating on his wife with a falling beauty. Roquan chimes in that he believes 
this Imperial captain may be the son-in-law of a general in the Imperial Army. With ample opportunities ahead and mulling strategies for some quick credits, the team decides to pursue their leads further. Ted opts to enter the West End Spaceport Circuit Race in his old V-Wing, the Inception, still aboard DeWay. Roquan and Buck devise a plan to find the Imperial Captain Romero, potentially to blackmail him for his affair. Vod decides to peek in on the Hut docking bay for more information on how to get his hands on the pending 10,000 credit payday. Mookie continues spying at Cosmos Cantina. Splitting the party, Vod manages to get inside docking bay A, noting several freighters and fighters owned by the Black Sun and Hut Basadi clans. But ultimately he was rebuffed by a few guarding Gamorians until more information could be surmised. Mookie and Ted head back to Dewey to work on reprogramming the team's new astromech rerun towards assisting Ted and his V-Wing in the upcoming race. Roquan and Buck are able to track Captain Romero and his beautiful falling adulteress to a movie theater, a restaurant, and ultimately back to their hotel room at the Twilex Teat. Later that evening, Buck and Roquan arrive at a gaudy pink hotel, the Twilex Teat, planning to set a trap for the Imperial Captain Romero. They enter and begin scoping out the building and listening at the doors. From the exterior corridor of the second floor, Buck identifies Romero's voice coming from room 212. There are springs creaking, along with some moans and slapping sounds. From behind the door, a female voice cries out, Romero! Buck begins to pick the lock. Behind him, unbeknownst to Buck, Roquan draws and readies his rifle, aiming it at the door. The force-attuned executioner, Roquan, driven blood-mad by his hatred of Imperials and want for another Imperial officer's head, Roquan's rage blinding him to more nuanced approaches. With a click, Buck successfully bypasses the lock and pushes the door open. Immediately, he starts snapping photographs and video with his recorder, catching the Imperial Captain Romero in a very compromising position with his falling fling on pink butterfly-printed sheets with hearts painting on the walls and mirrors on the ceiling. There's a naked couple in the middle of the room, Falline and human. Giola, the Falline, screams as Captain Romero rolls out of bed. What the hell are you doing? The captain yells in alarm. He makes a dive for his blaster on the end table. Roquan raises his rifle. Crouched at the bedside, Captain Romero squeezes off two quick shots at Roquan, striking him in the thigh. Run, my love. Run for your life. Buck immediately grabs the barrel of Roquan's rifle and pulls Roquan back out into the hallway. They both tumble to the ground. What the hell, Roquan? Yells Buck. A bright green flash goes flying past as Giola bolts out the door and down the stairs, screaming and naked, running off into the night. Roquan pushes Buck aside, clamors to his feet, and leans in from the doorframe. He fires and strikes the Imperial in the chest, sliding him back into a bedside table, stunned and with a ghastly chest wound. Growling, he hauls himself to his feet, and Captain Romero bolts past Roquan and Buck. 
Weakened by the wound, he makes a desperate vault for the railing. His knees bash into the handrail, and he tumbles head over heels to land on his neck. Two floors down, there is a sickening crack. Buck runs to the railing to see Giola's green, naked form running off. Below, Captain Romero lies motionless, dead. Roquan quickly enters the room and begins searching. More quickly than Buck would have thought possible, he sees two police speeders pull up, and a number of humanoid and droid troopers get out. Buck tucks down a back stairwell and slips out unnoticed to his speeder. The police quickly close in on room 212, and Roquan attempts in vain to escape, ultimately being forced to leap from a third-floor balcony and knocking himself out in the fall. In a desperate but ultimately successful rescue attempt by Buck on his speeder, Roquan and Buck flee the pursuing law officials, losing them and regrouping at the Deway with the others. New reality sinking in. Instead of a blackmail opportunity, the PCs have now been implicated in the murder of an Imperial officer and son-in-law of a high-ranking Imperial general, General Cassio Taggi. They sense their time on Farstein may now need to be shorter than they'd previously planned. With Ted's circuit race tomorrow morning, Buck and Roquan decide to go undercover and disguise themselves, lest they be discovered as Imperial murderers. However, before they can leave the planet, they realize they still must find sources of credits and fast. Step one, Teb's attempt to win the West End Spaceport race tomorrow morning. At dawn, Ted is the first to awaken. With materials procured from an art supply store the night before, Ted quickly gets to work to create a canvas banner for his ship and attaches it. Ted takes off in the V-Wing, Inception, flying towards the circuit race course to get a casual look at what awaits him. Below, he sees people already gathering along the space course. He sees a number of red and white markers spaced in a stretch along the entire course, like a slalom. Working his way backwards along the route, he pulls up out of the atmosphere to scout out the graveyard section. This is a stretch of ship debris spread out for quite a distance in low orbit, quietly spinning in the zero gravity. Ted head towards the Chupacosmonata stretch, the steep ascent. Before him, the enormous Mount Tyrannus arises, peeking up into the highest reaches of the thin atmosphere. The sun is cunning up behind it. The sky is an aquamarine hue, and he sees that the snow on Tyrannus is actually frozen methane crystals. Ted dives closer towards the base of the mountain into a canyon amidst smaller mountains. The beacon pathway snakes along the canyon floor. In his mind's eye, Ted is imagining the weaving maneuvers he will need to perform, making note of the difficult turns. He presses on towards the flats, the initial section of the race. It is generally bare, with a few scattered rocks that are run off from the mountains. He makes notes of the distances as he careens off towards Spacer's Folly in the final leg of the course. This stretch of the circuit is a collection of park freighters amidst the ships of enthusiastic fans who are flying or parked essentially on the course. Sunlight is reflecting off the quickly gathering crowd of ships who have gathered for the race, and he can't make out a clear route. He does spot the luxury 3000 space yacht parked towards the end of the spacer's folly, and even the diminutive forms of wealthy passengers drunk on the upper deck. Ted flies back to the Deway, and with Mookie's rerun programming complete, they socket the astromech droid into place on the V-Wing. Ted salutes, and they all wish him luck. He takes off towards the starting line. Buck, Mookie, and Roquan take off in the Dewey to watch from the initial stretch at the flats. 
Vod wants to watch from the cantina and heads to the Cosmos Cantina to spectate. At a quarter till noon local time, Ted pulls into his starting location at the Spectator Coliseum. A large video screen projects above the stadium. The race will be broadcast across the entire mid-rim. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the 39th annual West End Spaceport Race, booms the announcer. In turn, the announcer introduces each of the racers. In the modified Carillion Freighter, Sid Dodd, Aduras. And in the Pathfinder Scout Ship, Ellis Sedrock, a Mon Calamari. Piloting an R-41 Star Chaser, Tilor Kroner, a Wookiee. And piloting a Skik Interceptor, Weibo Ka. A Rodian. In his trusty Y-Wing, Nian Lumens, a Celestine. And piloting his Aether Sprite, Phalanx Tucky, a Zexto. And newly entered in the race, piloting his V-Wing, Luz Sindesi, Ted's alter ego with which he used to enter the race. Most of the racers get a resounding cheer from different regions of the Coliseum as they are introduced. When Ted is announced, there is only a quiet smattering of applause. Ladies and gentlemen, the announcer continues, please bow your heads as we sing the Farstein World Anthem. Farstein, 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 our home of the twinkling methane rain. Farstein, 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 we sing to thee, blue-eyed maiden wandering space. From the slopes of Tyrannus soaring high, to the frozen lakes of Perth so vast and wide. It is to you, blessed Farstein, Farstein, Sparkling jewel in the veils of the five Spinning free in a galaxy so vast If your sons and daughters journey forth to Rome Return to you, will they fasting, fasting We love you true, our Azure home Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls The annual Westport Circuit Race is ready to start. A buxom Farstinian female comes out onto the racetrack with a starting flag. Gentlemen, start your engines. Three, two, one, go! The flag goes down and the racers immediately burst off. Ted throws his engine to the max speed and blasts off down the flats. Ted is so amped, in fact, he doesn't notice his stick was taking him high into the air. He overcorrects and barrels towards the ground. The Inception V-Wing skips and spins along the track. He doesn't lose speed, but is spinning wildly. 
He wrestles with the stick and struggles to regain control. His tail clips against a rock, bouncing rerun loose in his socket briefly, but sends the ship back into the correct orientation down the course. The favored phalanx Tucky flies into the lead in his Aether Sprite, followed by Tilor Kuner and Ellis Sedrak. Tied for third are Sid Dodd, Nian Lumens, and Weibo Ka. Ted brings up the rear. They dive into the canyon on the approach to Mons Tyrannus. Phalanx weaves through the stone embankments, nosing out ahead of the pack. Ted regains ground in the narrow canyon, catching up to Ellis, Tulor, and Sid. He banks upwards at the last minute, skirting along the face of the massive mountain. The blood rushes out of his face as he strains against the G-forces. Ted pushes his engines and they whine in protest as he reaches maximum speed. He begins to spiral upwards in a modified talon roll to come into the graveyard at a perfect approach. His unexpected corkscrew maneuver causes Tilor to bank. The R-41 Star Chaser wing strikes the engine of Ted's V-wing, causing it to sputter and slow. They both nudge ahead of Weibo, whose M3A interceptor cannot maintain speed for the ascent. His ship slips behind. Phalanx continues to push even farther into the lead with Neon Lumens a distant second. As they pass beyond the stratosphere and into space, each ship in turn rolls to enter the graveyard. Ted has already rotated and is in prime position for the dangerous stretch of the race. He pushes through hunks of debris and transport wreckage, weaving deftly. Rewan trips nervously. Phalanx power down his throttle slowly, cautiously to avoid shattering his fragile ship. The Rodian, Weibo Ka, desperate to catch up from the rear, guns his engines as he enters the debris fields. The fiery explosion of his ship careening into a large chunk of metal is lost in the rear view of the other racers. The others maintain focus and are able to clear the debris field, entering the approach to Spacer's folly. Rerun, fix those engine couplings! Ted screams. The astromech quickly reconnects the malfunctioning engine, boosting Ted's speed to full power for the last leg of the circuit. The Inception dives down past the freighters and spectators parked in the course. On a tight turn, Ted clips an airspeeder of spectators, throwing him wide of the course. Ted reacts with incredible alacrity and arcs back onto the course, pulling into Phalanx's contrail. He locks in behind the other ship, drafting, trying to pick up more speed as he careens towards the final stretch. Ellis, struggling to maintain control of his Pathfinder, drills into an old excess freighter, sending his ship out of the course in pieces. In the Y-Wing, Nien spins past a pair of freighters only to strike a TL-1200 hut transport, dismembering his ship and taking him out of the race. Of the remaining ships, Phalanx Tucky is still in the lead, followed by Ted, Tilor Skinner, Sid Dodd, neck and neck. In the final stretch, Ted makes a critical decision, one that will help bolster the anti-imperial movement. As he flies by the luxury cruiser, Ted releases the painted banner on his ship. Streaming out behind the Inception, the large print reads, Rebel. Unfortunately, it is upside down. The canvas banner shears off and lands on the drunken revelers aboard the space yacht. The jolt of adrenaline from his massive recruitment effort steadies his hand. Ted zooms between Sid and Talor, who close in, attempting to prevent his passing. As he threads the space between, Sid and Talor's banking ships smash into each other, sending the two racers crashing into the ground just before the finish line, just as Phalanx Tucky cruises across the finish in first place, followed closely by Ted Yedman in second. As the cheering of the crowd dies down after the circuit race is complete, the heroes gather back at the Dewey after Ted collects his second-place winnings. Suddenly... 
Their hollow transmitter begins vibrating. It's Ember. Kurds, are you still okay? There is a dramatic amount of chatter on Imperial comms about the death of an Imperial Captain Romero on Farstein last night. He was the son-in-law of High General Cassio Taggi, and it seems stiff retribution is planned by the Empire for this act. I can only hope that you somehow had a hand in these events, my friends. But I digress. Intelligence has good reason to believe that an Imperial garrison may be en route. I trust that you have found the credits necessary to rendezvous with Lovi. She has been successful in contacting the Bothan spynet, and being the shrewd negotiator that she is, has managed to procure an audience with the Bothans. She informs command that she is waiting your arrival on Bothawi. We are very nearly on the cuffs of resolving this puzzle, my friends. We just need the credit soon to pry the Bothan intelligence. Please make haste. If you find yourself immersed in an Imperial occupation force, please keep your heads down and your actions discreet. But of course, if it comes to it, and you have to flee, keep your engines hot and your guns at the ready. May the force be with you. Barely have the heroes absorbed this information from Ember when outside there is a loud snap boom from the sky above. Above the city bubble, a large ship has appeared. An Imperial-class Star Destroyer has just dropped out of hyperspace above the West End spaceport. Squadrons of TIEs are deploying from the docking bay. The rumble of the Imperial Star Destroyer's sublight engines are felt in the ground even though it's several miles above. The massive capital ship is blocking out the sun and casts a shadow over the streets. The Farstein revelers are staring up and gasping. A broadcast appears on all screens within the city. Citizens and visitors of Falstein, this is Captain Akal Zed of the Imperial Star Destroyer Stalker. I am here with the unfortunate news that an officer of the Imperial Navy was murdered in your city of West End last night. Be it known that the Empire takes such barbaric acts against its own with utmost concern. Justice will be rendered. It will be swift and stern. Under the proclamation from High General Cassio Taggi, the city of West End is considered under Imperial control until further notice, and a blockade has been placed to monitor incoming and outgoing traffic to the city. Any unlicensed ingress or egress from here will require Imperial clearance from the Imperial Star Destroyer Stalker itself. Failure to comply will result in severe consequence. Fair denizens, as your loyal duty to the Empire, we are requesting that you provide any information you have on the whereabouts of these two murderers. Failure to comply with this directive will be deemed an act of complicity, and severe consequences will be rendered. We appreciate your utmost cooperation in our search and investigation for those that have committed such vile acts. Information leading to the capture, interrogation, and execution of these treasonous felons will of course be rewarded. The broadcast then switches to an image of two fugitives, Roquan and Buck. People of West End begin to murmur. Some scream. Some are staring and gawking. Others grab the hands of loved ones and start to run. Above, a freighter tries to rocket past the Star Destroyer. A bank of turbo lasers rotate to track it and fire. The freighter completely disintegrates in a ball of fire overhead. Despite this new threat floating overhead, The PCs find themselves still desperate for credits. They decide they still need to seek opportunity on Farstein. Vod suggests pursuing the leads they had regarding the Hut and Black Sun credit exchange and slave trade. Perhaps they can steal or otherwise dupe the Huts or Black Sun into becoming a source of income. While Buck, Mookie, 
and Roquan stand guard. Ten plans to use his newfound piloting fame to distract the huts to allow Vod to sneak into Docking Bay A and see if he can locate the credits. Outside the hut's docking bay, Vod spots a side door that is unguarded at ground level and heads that direction. The others approach from a main entrance. Ted boldly strides in, puffing his chest a bit like he owns the place. He spots the Gamorian and Salonian guards. Hey guys, did anyone see that race? He says. Between the two large ships, he spots Drod and Chalice in conversation. A loading crane moves a large crate from the Black Sun ship to the hut ship. Drod points at Ted and yells to his guards. A pair of Gamorians and four Salonians that had been guarding the hut ship approach Ted ominously. He quietly gives Vod the go-ahead on comms. A Salonian steps closer. You must be Luz. Drod is very interested in meeting you. Come with us. We are the Basadi Huts. The Gamorians box him in and escort him. Your weapons... You will not need them when you meet Drod. Ted is frisked. The burly Gamorian confiscates his heavy blaster, but doesn't find his concealed holdout blaster. They take Ted to the middle of the bay towards Drod, as the Deveronian, Chalice of the Black Sun, heads back to his ship, which is starting to power up along with his escort ships. With the guards distracted, Vod sneaks along a path in darkness onto a back hatch of the hut ship. He melts away in the shadows. There's a rumble as the Black Sun ship takes off. Outside, Buck, Mookie, and Roquan are on standby. From down the main street, they spot Imperial stormtroopers and an Imperial probe droid scanning the area. At first sight of the Imperials, Mookie and Buck casually walk away around the block. Roquan tries to scurry unnoticed into the docking bay, but the droid is already closing in and focuses on Roquan. A loud alarm sounds from the droid, and it focuses its lights on Roquan as he tucks around the corner. The troopers follow him, drawing their guns. Inside, Ted is escorted to Drod. It's so sad what happened to Weebo, offers Ted in condolence. The leather-clad Nikto sizes him up. Weebo Kwa was one of our best pilots. I'm sorry for your loss, says Ted. Drod says, you are a good flyer. Weebo flew special missions for us. He was the best smuggler we had, but you lived. You were a better pilot. I'm Luz Sindesi, Ted introduces himself with a little bow. Luz, a very good pilot. You fly like an ace. Weebo is gone. Let us say we have an opening, Luz, says Drad. You saw that Star Destroyer come, though. They are going to be keeping a close eye on all ships leaving here. We need to find a way to move our cargo out. Do you have a ship, Luz? Of course, says Ted. What's the cargo? Drod continues. We have cargo. I'll leave it at that. We need someone to make a run to B2 Station on Rhodia. You'll meet a Basadi agent to transfer cargo. They will radio us, and we will pay you. But of course, you need to get past that. Drod points upwards, suggesting the Imperial Star Destroyer, Stalker. I could do this if you sweeten the deal, says Ted. What do you require? asks Drod. I need a buyer to purchase a V-Wing, says Ted. I know buyers on Nar Shaddaa, particularly the Cordal's chain. I can give you their info, says Drod. Uh, I would need an intermediary, responds Ted. Let's talk price. I'm willing to give you 6000 for the work, says Drod. I'll see what I can do. I do think you have yourself a deal, replies Ted. 
You need to pick up it as soon as possible, says Drod. The cargo needs to be transferred in the next ten days. Rhodia is about nine days from here in hyperspace. Well, it was a pleasure doing business, Drod, says Ted. Pull in when you're ready to pick it up. Hurry. The Empire is not known for its patience. In fact, it looks like some of their agents have taken an interest in this docking bay already. Drod points to the group of stormtroopers who have entered the docking bay looking for Roquan. On the hut ship, Vod is crouching behind some crates near a blast door. Towards Stern, he hears the movement of Gamorians and Salonians behind closed doors. Vod sneaks up to a door and listens. Silence. He gently pushes it open and enters a dimly lit room. He spots a locked box atop a crate that looks suspiciously lootable. He jangles it, fumbling with the lock and making a surprising amount of noise. A Gamorian in a nearby room cocks his ear and investigates the sound. Fod dashes back into hiding near the entry hatch as the guard walks out, looks around, and returns to the front of the ship. Roquan pushes out onto the catwalk of the docking bay, followed by four Imperial stormtroopers. You there! Show us your identification, the stormtrooper says. Roquan ignores them and climbs down a ladder. Halt! Call the sergeant! He's not listening to us, the stormtrooper says. The troopers begin pursuit. Roquan stops and turns around. Oh, you were talking to me, says Roquan. Three troopers lean over the railing with guns trained on him and as he gets to the ground floor. I need your identification, the commanding officer demands from the top of the ladder. Pretending initially to reach into his pockets, Roquan suddenly bolts across the docking bay floor, dodging incoming laser fire and sprints towards a door outside. He dives into the crowd and loses the stormtroopers. Sir, I've lost a person of interest in the hut docking bay. Send backup. Ted leaves Drod and calms into the others. He informs them that he made a deal. Vod quickly sneaks out of the ship and meets up with Mookie and Buck outside. Ted instructs Roquan to meet back at the ship. Vod fumes angrily about the botched plan. We were supposed to punk these guys, not work for them. And you agreed to help them ship their cargo? The cargo is slaves, Ted. As Roquan heads back to check on the Dewey at Docking Bay C, the remaining PCs regroup and head back to the Cosmos Cantina debating next steps to find more credits to make the deal with the Bothan Spy Network. Ted decides to see if Bronco Chap still needs their help. He also wants his gun back. He finds Bronco in the back of the Cosmos Cantina. Hey, kid. Good to see you back. Nice flying. Bronco Chaps tips his hat. Was that you who pulled out that rebel banner? Shit, that was ballsy. You still ready to help? Of course, Ted says. Listen. Here's what's going to happen. The Imperials are going to give everyone a hard time trying to get in and out. If that doesn't bear fruit, they're going to come onto the ground. If you don't have ID on you, they're going to start shooting. It'll get ugly. Now, I'm still wanting to get this bounty, though, and I think we can. Look across the street. See that bar? That's the night scout. The mission starts there. Are you ready? All right. Yeah, says Ted. I'm going to need to help bring this target down. The bounty is specifically for this guy called Anem Palid. He travels with a bruiser named Sledge and a triplet of Rodians who call themselves Demon Dogs. We're going to have to slow them first. Anem Palid, he's as evil as they come. He kills for pleasure. Bronco pauses and lights a cigar. I've been scoping out the night scale. I haven't seen Anem there, but I've seen the Demon Dogs and Sledge. When they leave, I'm going to follow them back to Anim. Ted shuffles his feet and states to pull this off. He's going to need his cavalry blaster. He pays back the 1,000 credits loan Bronco had given him earlier. 
from his winnings, and Bronco returns Ted's blaster. Ted calls the other on comms and tells them about the job. They all agree that it's better work than the slave trading and encourage Ted to take the offer. As Bronco Chaps meditates getting ready for the bounty job, he gets a solemn look on his face and turns to lose Sandesi, a.k.a. Ted. Bronco proceeds. Before my friend Ted Yedman left on his last bounty mission, he gave me this. Bronco pulls out a crumpled yellow sheet of paper. He said if he ever found this, he'd never have to work again. Bronco shows Ted a picture of ship schematics. Ted Yedman gave me this schematic to me before he disappeared. It's my good luck charm. Bronco looks out the window. Hold up. See that guy outside? That's him. That's Sledge. A huge, hulking, bald humanoid walks out of the night scowl and gets into a land speeder with three identical-appearing Rodians. Looks like they're rolling. We gotta tail them. Now. The heroes and Bronco tail the criminals to an abandoned and decrepit opera house on the edge of town. Roquan attempts to join them by flying Ted's V-Wing to meet them, but lands the V-Wing on the fragile rooftop of the old building, causing a portion of the roof to cave in and forcing the other PCs into a now-or-never decision. They all race into the building to confront Anim Palid, Sledge, and the Demon Dogs. Anim, they discover, is an adept wielder of the dark side of the Force, and nearly managed to fry both Roquan and Ted with force lightning in the ensuing fight. Ultimately, the large humanoid sledge proves no match for Vod's vibroaxe, and Buck expertly hurls a throwing dagger into Anim Palid's eye, killing him. Bronco retrieves Anim's dead body and thanks the PCs for their help, paying them 2,000 credits. As the heroes exit the crumbling opera house, they hear a loud rumble, and the derelict building collapses in a heap, entombing Ted's V-Wing inception. The party celebrates briefly, then banter about their options. Stealing slaves from the huts and freeing them, running goods for the Gungans, or stealing a consortium ship with Imperial disguises or options put on the table. While they weigh their options, an Imperial probe droid appears in the distance moving towards them. Abandoning the wrecked remains of the Inception lost within the collapsed building, the five rebels hop on their scooters and make their way back to Cosmo's Cantina. Ted spots a familiar Gungan, Tum Tum, across the Cantina. Approaching, Ted offers, I could fly the blockade run for you. Yusa looky familiar. We're a Yusa in the race? Yusa would help us to fly to Naboo? Tum Tum's stocked eyes light up. You, sir, are the pilot who flew the rebel flag. Ted nods. Tum-Tum's face scrunches skeptically. Have you, sir, ever faced a TIE fighter pilot? Hmm. We, sir, pay a you, sir, do a thousand moolah if you can make it a de transportin. Ted responds without hesitation. Shouldn't it be double? There are two blockades now. Tum-Tum thinks for a moment. Okie day. Foos a thousand mula when Yusa delivering the Bacta successfully to our Palos. Ted agrees to the transport and Tum Tum provides his comm key to coordinate the timing of the pickup. A Duros in a flight suit approaches Ted from the bar. Are you loose? I am Sid Dodd. I was the pilot of Tayana's glory. I crashed at the end of the race, but right before that I saw your rebel banner on the flight towards the finish. 
He pauses and looks around the dimly lit room. I need your help, Luz. All right, tell me what you need, says Ted. Sid waves him over to a private booth. I saw your flag. You're a rebel, no? I need help off this planet. My ship crashed in the race and it won't fly. Sid places the helmet tucked under his arm on the table. Have you been on a planet that has been under an imperial blockade? Arms folded, Ted responds. Can't say I have. Sid continues. It will get much worse. They will start landing garrisons and interrogate any person they deem suspicious. Many of those get sent to the spice mines or prison or worse. Time is of the essence. I have done too much against the Empire to get off the planet safely. Ted leans in. Well, maybe we can help each other out, Sid says. I worked for Senator Garmbel Iblis and still have connections. I can offer a thousand credits if you get me off the planet, and then another thousand if you get me to my friends on Anchorhead. Tatooine, what kind of hyperdrive do you have? It's a class two, says Ted. Sid's reptilian eyes blink. Get me to the Anchorhead and you'll be compensated for the trouble. How do you plan on getting past the blockade? Ted leans back and describes how he's going to basically blast his way through or find another option. Ted says, I'll see you at Docking Bay C in 12 hours. Here's my comm key. Thus, the PCs, with the Empire's blockade threatening to entrap them permanently, decide to make a move with the following credit options. One, the money that Ted won in the race. Two, the money earned in helping Bronco Chaps with his bounty. Three, the money to be gained upon delivery of the Hut's goods to B2 Station on Rhodia. And four, credit for the transport of the Gungan goods and getting Sid Dodd to Anchorhead on Tatooine. Deciding it's time to move, they head back to the docking bay and board the Dewey. Ted lifts off out of the docking bay and head towards the Hut thugs in docking bay B. There are a number of Salonian and Gamorian guards standing about menacingly. Drod, the Nikto, approaches Ted as Ted steps down the gangplank. Ah, Luz, it's good to see you. Are you here to help us out? Ted agrees and informs Drod he is ready to move their cargo. Go ahead, boys. Load them up, says Drod. Three large crates get pushed onto the Dewey by Drod's henchmen. You'll get your payment when the goods are safely delivered. Ted and Drod shake hands. With their contraband safely aboard the Dewey, Drod whistles and his crew boards their TL-1200 transport to flee the planet. In the large docking bay sea, the Gungans pull up with their small craft. Vod approaches the Gungan Tumtum Wawa. Overcoming his repulsion of the Weequay's wrinkled visage, Tumtum reviews the plan with Vod. Wisa plans to fly to Naboo, says Tumtum, pointing to a handheld hologram of Naboo. He points to an indicator in the space above the hologram planet. Disahera Corin Corvette. Wisa taking care of Disapartan of the blockade. Yusa taking care of whatever escort with it. Tumtum motions the other gun gun to begin loading the Bacta onto the Dewey. Wisa needing Yusa gets her to our people safely. Wisa may not make it to defeat walk in Landon at an outcrop new Jangwa City. Yusa needing first Dissa. Tumtum hands Vod what appears to be Wayfinder goggles, finished with rose-colored prisms. No trust in Yusa's eyes alone. Desa must see through a crystallized gaze. Come here. He gestures Vod towards the cargo hold. Yusa needing to haul Dissa to use Skeet Beetle. He indicates two large bales of organic green hay-like material wrapped in twine. 
Yusa give a disitata the guardians the jangwa. The guardians will keep Yusa and Yuskit beetle safe. Trust in their path. Vod reaches for the bales and Tum Tum puts out his arm. Wait, Dali Mar. He reaches behind a crate and presents an ivory-colored shell that ends in a large opening. The other end is a mouthpiece. Disa per the watchman in the waterin. The watchman no relenting unless the horn of Nas sounded thrice. Yusa must have beckoned the river soul. Tum Tum passes the horn to Vod and reaches into a pack for yet another item. Delivering Disa data pad to Captain Roos Tarpals. He hands Vod a Gungan data pad. With that, Vod and the Gungans finish loading the back to canisters, straw bales, and other supplies onto the Dewey. In the cargo hold of the Dewey, Vod taps on the crate from the huts, knowing there are likely terrified slaves inside. Don't worry, folks in there. We'll take care of you, Vod says. There is no reply. Hello? Hey, Roquan, can you see if there's anything alive in here? Roquan approaches the crate and closes his eyes. He senses no life in the smaller crate. They decide to open it and see what's inside. Cracking his side open, small paper cylinders roll out, smelling strongly of spice and herbs. But Vod does not recognize it. Roquan then puts his hands on the large crate, feeling for signs of life. He senses terror, confusion, and disorientation in four life forms huddled inside. It's almost painful. Hey, buddies! We'll get you out safely in not too long. Hang in there, Vod reassures them. The heroes finish their prep for leaving as Sid Dot arrive and climbs into the co-pilot seat of the cockpit. Ted powers up the thrusters, pushes the throttle forward. He brings the Dewey up to speed, twisting out above the Farstein spaceport, followed by the Gungans and their ship. The two ships emerge to discover a traffic jam of transports and vehicles in the region of Spacer's Folly all being stopped and interrogated by the Imperial Star Destroyer hanging overhead. The Dewey is immediately hailed by the stalker. Wayfair freighter, you have an unauthorized departure from your docking bay. What is your cargo and destination? Ted mumbles into the comms and pretends the signal is glitching. Not sure they're going to buy that. Here we go, he says. Through the protective dome directly above them is a clear shot straight up and out where the stalker looms. A Thai bomber squadron is seen launching from its docking bay. There is another path through traffic that appears to provide some cover, but is full of vehicles. Ted considers his options, then banking his ship, directs the way into the traffic of Spacer's Folly. I think we'll have better cover this way, but it's going to be tight, he says. He deftly maneuvers through a course of parked ships. The open sky closes as they push through closely through the densely packed vehicles. Mookie immediately begins furiously working on the calculations for the jump to light speed. The coordinates will be ready in just about five minutes, she exclaims to Ted, her voice box volume cranked up to the equivalent of a shout. Out the starboard window amongst the freighters, three ties pull onto the tail of the Gungan Wander class jump freighter, pinning it with laser fire. Over the comms, Tum Tum cries out, Wisa in a little bit of troubling! Wisa cannot shake in the ties! Another group of modified Thai bombers pull in behind the Dewey and launch a concussion missile. The high-speed projectile plunges into the aft of the Dewey, rocking the ship forward. Ted whips the ship around a lazily turning freighter, and one of the pursuing Thais clips its wing, sending it spinning out of control. Buck hops on a terminal to analyze the attack pattern. 
behind a closet door midship, rerun gives frightened chirps as the astromech hides, apparently paralyzed by the scars of destruction from the last combat battle he was in with his clone pilot. The shell-shocked little droid makes a whimpering electronic burble. The stalker's ion cannons far above light up the sky. The incoming energy bolts sail past, slamming into some smaller ships nearby, creating a screen of debris behind the doorway. Another set of heavy ion cannons from the underside of the stalker also fire, missing the fleeing ship. The blue energy splashes across a group of ships ahead, sending them spiraling out of position, revering an opening for a shot at the Dewey. Vod hops onto the short-range scanners and directs Ted to a clearer path. In the gunnery controls, Roquan fires at the trailing TIE bombers with the newly installed aft cannon on the Dewey. The closest bomber explodes as the others flutter through its wake. Sid throws several switches, maximizing the Dewey's energy supply for power and maneuverability. Roquan fires the aft cannon again, striking the trailing tie, but surprisingly not destroying it. At the helm, Ted decelerates the Dewey and pulls into a cluster of ships ahead, trying to squeeze past two tightly parked freighters. The huge Dewey rolls onto its side and banks upward in an attempt to thread the needle. The wafer bursts out of the crowd of ships and into the thin stratosphere at the edge of space. The pilot of the chasing tie spots the narrow path and weaves through safety as well, following the Dewey into space. Mookie furiously hammers on her keyboard, and with an audible groan of release, their ship's garbage storage spills out behind them, clouding the sky. Rerun continues to chirp nervously from the closet as the stalker's cannons light up again. Several blasts go scorching past them. Responding to the frightened little astromech droid, Vod opens the closet door. His scowling features soften, and a gentler side of the grumpy Weequay emerges briefly. Hey, little guy. I promised to put in a word with Ted for you to be honorably discharged from service once we're back with the Rebels. But you've got to help us get out of here safely. Can you do that? Agreeing, the anxious astromech chirps an acknowledgement and scurries out cautiously towards the engine room. In the distance, another Star Destroyer drops out of hyperspace. Sid yells over the headphones. Are you guys going to help those Gungans? They're getting hammered. Not far away, the Gungan ship continues to receive a laser pelting from three tile ends. Vod runs back to the quad cannon controls midship and fires at the Gungans' attackers. One of the TIE fighters explodes in a hail of laser fire, sending the other two arcing away, delaying the attack. In the turret of the aft cannon, Roquan fires back at the bomber, pursuing them, blasting its wing but not completely crippling it. The bomber returns fire with another concussion missile. An explosion rocks the Dewey as it slams into the docking bay, scorching the entire port side and weakening the hull. Terminals sparking, Mookie reroutes ship energy to stabilize some of the strain on Dewey's electrical systems. Rerun speeds towards the back of the ship and links into the aft engine drive. The droid chirps happily as it distributes coolant to the engines, preventing a critical engine failure. The stalker's main dorsal ion cannon and medium ion cannons all fire again at the fleeing freighter. The ion blast sails past again, narrowly missing the Dewey, but a bolt strikes the Gungan ship instead, knocking out its shields entirely. They're vulnerable, yells Buck. At his terminal, he sends a system hack in the remaining ties that are maneuvering to finish the Gungans. In a moment of inspiration, Buck pulls his data recorder from his pocket and hacks into the ties targeting system flooding the pilot's overlays with his previously recording footage of Captain Romero and his green-skinned falling mistress in their carnal tryst. 
Confused by the sudden appearance of their superior officer violating Imperial Code 3.4.73b and Imperial Code 69.x.23, the distracted TIE pilots veer off course and crash into each other in a fiery explosion. Tum-tum! Now! Ted yells over the comms. The Gungan ship banks and disappears as it makes the jump to light speed. Ted pulls the Dway around, lining up their jump to light speed. The hyperdrive engines begin to whine. The star field becomes a series of parallel lines. The ship lurches, and the Dway jumps to safety. <laughs>